Hi guys, my name's Hannah. I'm in my third year studying political science and history. Uh, what a joy and a privilege it is as Christians to come to God in prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God um, and it's one of the ways we are in a relationship with God. The Bible tells us in Philippians to pray about anything um, and to present our request to God through prayer um, and with thanksgiving. So please join me as I lead us in prayer um, and pray for the year ahead at Christian Union. Uh, Dear God, thank you for a great start to the year at Christian Union. What a joy it is to fellowship as fellow Christians and we pray that we would connect with other Christians on campus and that we would be an encouragement to one another. We pray for the first years and those who are new on campus and may be feeling nervous or overwhelmed in this new environment. Please help them adjust to uni life, find their way around campus and make new friends. We pray for our focus group or the fellowship of overseas Christian university students. Thanks for the large number of international students who have shown an interest to engage with Jesus at university. We ask that the welcome barbecue this evening would be a great time to get to know one another. And finally, we pray for Ben as he comes to speak to us from your word. Thank you that we can learn from the Bible here at UWA. Please help Ben to speak clearly and faithfully from your word. And as we study the gospel according to Mark this year, we ask that we would come to know Jesus better and love him more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, uh, I'm Jess. I'm a second year student studying statistics and I'll be reading our passage today. Uh, So there's a passage in your handout. We are reading from the Gospel of Mark and we're reading the first chapter and well, verses 1 to 15. Yeah, so it's all in the handout or you can use your own Bible if you like. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, 
proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Good news. That guy, that girl that you've always liked. Turns out they like you back. Good news. You're at uni now, and actually you don't need to worry about dating people. No one's worried about it. No one cares. Good news. You got to enrol in the course that you want to be in. Good news. You've had some lectures, and so far they seem to be fairly interesting. What would count as good news for you? Good news. Perth is the ninth most livable city in the world. Good news. School is over forever. Good news. You've made it to UWA. Well, the Gospel according to Mark begins with the announcement of good news. The beginning of the good news, he says. But the word that Mark uses here, the Greek word euangelion, doesn't mean just any old news. It's not good news. There's ice cream in the freezer for when you get home. It's big news. It's public news. It's earth-shaking news. See, picture this. It's 490 BC, and an enormous Persian army has just landed at Marathon, about 40 kilometres north of Athens. And for the past uh, four years, the Persian king Darius has been planning the invasion of Greece. And the first step in his plan to conquer Greece is to burn Athens to the ground. The Athenians, they send their fastest runner. Sorry, let me just sort this microphone out. It's a bit loud. The Athenians send their fastest runner, Pheidippides, 120 kilometres to Sparta to call on the Spartans to come and help them. Pheidippides runs the 120 kilometres, gets to Sparta, and discovers that the Spartans are in the middle of a religious festival and they can't come for the next 10 days, by which point it will be all over. So he turns around and he runs 120 kilometres all the way back to Athens. And he comes back with bad news. So the Athenians march out alone to face a battle-hardened Persian army three times their size. Now imagine not that you're in the army, but that you're back in Athens. You're a woman, you're a child, you're an old man. How would you feel? I think you'd be terrified, wouldn't you? Your whole future depends on what happens in this battle. You'd be anxiously peering over the walls, looking for someone on the horizon, some idea of what is going to happen to you. Your stomach would be in knots. You'd be anxiously waiting for the news. And then a cry goes up. There's a figure running down the road towards Athens. And it's Pheidippides. But what is his message? What's he going to say? Run for your lives, the Persians are coming. They haul the gates open and Pheidippides bursts in. We've won, he gasps. And then he drops down dead. We've won. 
That's all he needed to say. And they knew what that meant. The Persians have been defeated. Athens is safe. We're going to live. We've won. Now that is a gospel. Good news. Big news. But what about the gospel? See, as far as I can tell, this is uh, the gospel according to Mark is the first time that anyone ever wrote down something that they called a gospel. Because why would you? A gospel is news. Once you've said the news, it's all over. You don't need to write it down and tell it again. I mean, that's why newspapers and the TV news, they need to keep coming up with new stories every day, even if there is no real news. Because the stuff from yesterday, it's out of date. It's gone. Once you've told the news, it's out of date. There aren't modern Athenians walking around Athens today saying, good news, we beat the Persians. We still celebrate the end of World War II, but we don't celebrate it like it's news. No one's standing on the street corner saying, good news, the Allies have won. No, it's, it's out of date. At the time, it was genuinely good big news, at least if you're on the Allied side. But 70 years later, well, it's just not news anymore. But when Mark writes the beginning of the Gospel... Well, just in writing those words, he's declaring that this gospel is something different. This gospel is something that is not temporary, that's not over as soon as it's announced. This news is actually worth writing down. This news is different from all other news. This news won't go out of date. This gospel is always gospel. Whether it's a week later, a year later... A century later, 2,000 years later, it's still big, it's still good, and it's still news. It's permanent big good news. Which raises the obvious question of, well, why? What makes it so permanent and big and good? Well, Mark tells us, at least hints at it, in the very first sentence of his book. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel, the big good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is not good news. There's ice cream at home. It's not even good news we've won the war. This news is big and permanent because it is about the Son of God himself, the one who made you and holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand the one who controls your eternal destiny. This is not news that kind of fades into irrelevance over time. The news about him is always news. It always matters and it always will. So this year in the CU public meetings, we're going to dive into this permanent big good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. We're going to work our way through the entire gospel according to Mark, asking the questions of who is Jesus? What's the news about him? Why is it such big news? Why is it such permanent news? Why is it such good news? Now, if you're a Christian, you might be thinking, really? We're going to spend like the whole year going through the gospel? But I'm already Christian. I go to church. I've heard the gospel. What's the point of 
digging into it so much? Can't we move on to something a bit more interesting? You know, maybe we could wrestle with predestination or something. Uh, something, something tricky. Maybe we could do some more philosophical stuff. I've already heard the gospel. Why do I need to hear it again? But if that's what you're thinking, uh, can I suggest that you probably haven't really understood the gospel? Because the gospel is not just for people who aren't Christian, although it is for them. And if you're here and you're not Christian, we're very glad that you're here. Um, we hope that there'll be Christ- non-Christians here every week. Uh, great to have you along. But the gospel is not just how you become Christian. It's actually how you live as a Christian, how you grow as a Christian. In fact, there simply is no other way to grow as a Christian than by growing in your understanding and appreciation of the gospel. That's what it's all about. And when it comes to the gospel, there's actually a lifetime of stuff to explore and to respond to. Because at one level, the gospel is pretty simple. Uh, It's like Pheidippides collapsing through the gates of Athens and declaring, we've won. It's not a complex message. But then again, we've won doesn't mean much without the background, does it? We've won. We've won what? Game of dominoes? If we win a vote in the Athenian parliament? If we won the Olympic Games? To understand a gospel, you've got to understand the background. To understand this gospel, you've got to understand the background as well. And there's a lot of background to explore. The entire Old Testament And the promise, right back in the beginning, after Satan tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God, the promise from God that one day a descendant of Adam would crush Satan's head. And there's God's promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago that he would bless him, he would make him a great nation, and through uh, through him he'd bless all the nations of the earth. Well, 3,000 years ago, God's promise to David, the greatest king of Israel, that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. A king who would be not only David's son, but God's son as well. Bringing in God's kingdom, bringing in justice, ruling over the nations and the world. And of course, there's the promise that we see here in verse 2 of Mark. That one day God would send a messenger to call on people to prepare for the Lord. God himself. And then we meet the messenger. And it turns out that he's a fairly odd sort of messenger. He's out in the desert. He's wearing clothes made of camel hair. He's got a leather belt. He's eating locusts and wild honey. And he's calling on people to repent. Now, let me ask you, if you came across a guy like that on the streets of Perth, would you think, aha, here's a man to be relied upon for good spiritual guidance? (laughs) No, I don't think so, would you? You think, this guy's crazy. He's out of his mind. And yet, we read here that people are flocking to John the Baptist. The whole Judean countryside, Mark tells us. And all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. So it's worth asking, why do we think crazy homeless guy and they think, whoa, Time to confess my sins and repent. Well, it's because they know their Bibles and we don't. 
because they recognised that John in his camel hair coat and his leather belt eating his locusts and wild honey is not a crazy guy. He's a guy who is acting like Elijah, the great prophet from hundreds of years earlier. The great prophet that God promised he would send again to warn the Lord's people before the Lord himself came. And so when they see John out in the wilderness, dressed like Elijah, calling on people to repent, they know what's happening. This is an important moment, because they understand the background. And if we want to understand the gospel, we've got to understand the background better as well. And although the gospel, in one sense, is pretty simple, it's kind of simple the way a diamond is simple. It's just one thing, but it's got multiple facets. You can look at it from different angles and different things come out. If you think that the gospel is nothing more than Jesus died for my sins, then Mark is going to blow your mind. It is that Jesus died for your sins, but that's only one facet of the diamond. There's so much more to it. We glimpse a couple of the facets here in verse 7 where John declares, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Interesting, isn't it, that John's got all these people flocking from all areas of Judea to come and see him, and yet he seems to feel like his ministry lacks power. He's waiting for one more powerful than him. Why does he think his ministry lacks power? Well, presumably because he thinks it won't lead to lasting change. Yeah, sure, there are people who are repenting, but it's probably just kind of like a New Year's resolution. Yeah, this year I I should get right with God. I should turn over a new leaf. Good intentions, but they don't last. John recognises that what's needed is power. Power to change people's hearts. And John doesn't have that power. But he says, the one coming after me does. Because he's not going to baptise with water. He's going to baptise with the Holy Spirit. He is actually capable of changing people's hearts. And boy, do we need that. That's one aspect of the Gospel. And then verse 10 is another aspect. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The gospel reveals the Trinity. God the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and God the Father speaks, identifying Jesus as his son. And he mashes together Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. Psalm 2 about the Messiah, Isaiah 42 about the suffering servant. And again, I'm not aware that anyone had done this before. Because Messiahs don't suffer. It's kind of oxymoronic to talk about a suffering Messiah. But we're being shown here that Jesus is not just some random guy caught up in the excitement around John. No, he's anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. 
He's declared to be king by God the Father. And yet he's going to suffer for the sins of his people. The Old Testament, John the Baptist, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, they're all testifying that Jesus is the Son of God. But actually, there's one more person in the know, one more person who's yet to testify, and it's someone who you might not expect. It's Satan. Have a look at verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. I wonder uh, how long you would last in that situation. You're out in the desert, you're 40 days without food or uh, anything like that. You're hungry, you're thirsty, you're tired, and you're facing Satan at his best or at his worst. Um, At his most determined, determined to crack you and ruin God's plan. Uh, If you're anything like me, you'd last all of about four seconds. But Jesus goes 40 days. 40 days. And unlike anyone else, he doesn't crack. Unlike Israel, who spent 40 years wandering in the desert, he doesn't grumble. He doesn't cave into temptation. He doesn't turn his back on God. So ironically, Satan, who is totally committed to wrecking Jesus' ministry, to destroying the Trinity, to ruining everything that God has planned only ends up testifying to the truth about Jesus. Jesus is unlike anyone else. He's unlike any human you've ever met. In fact, he's a lot more like God. He doesn't cave into temptation. So who is this guy? This son of man, this son of God... Well, we're starting to get the idea that maybe he is the guy who was promised long ago in Genesis chapter 3. The descendant of Adam, the descendant of Eve, who would crush Satan's head forever. So the gospel has a background. It's multifaceted. And lastly, it's got radical implications. What we've seen already shows us that the gospel is not... Uh, some abstract piece of news that has no relevance to our lives. I mean, for the Athenians, when Pheidippides collapsed through the gate and said, we've won, that was not some abstract fact to study. Well, wouldn't it? What an interesting philosophical proposition. We've won. Now, let's try and analyse that and pull that apart and tease out the details of it. No, it's immediately obvious what it means. It's massive. It's not abstract. It's got huge implications. It changes their whole lives, how they think about themselves. They're now free people. Their whole life changes, how they think about the future, what they do each day. And when Jesus arrives and declares in verse 15, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That's not an interesting bit of trivia. It's actually a declaration by God, that what was once hostile territory occupied by the enemy has been invaded by the Son of God himself. It's the return of the king. The time has come. 
The kingdom of God has come near. Everything that God had promised, the defeat of sin, the defeat of Satan and death, blessing to the nation, spiritual transformation, new life, a kingdom of goodness and justice, everything that you could ever have hoped for, it's all about to begin. And notice too that this is not some subjective sort of feeling or state of mind, as if, you know, if you close your eyes and look deep enough within yourself, you'll discover the kingdom of God. No, this is not subjective, this is objective. It's not a philosophical deduction either. You know, all things considered, it seems likely that God is king. No, this is objective reality. This is real news, not fake news. It's the objective reality that at a particular point in time, around about 27 AD, during the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and in a particular place, the Roman province of Judea, the kingdom of God began. Because that's when God anointed his son, Jesus, as the king over the whole universe. And that has massive implications. For one thing, if you've been at war with God, or even just ignoring him, this is the time to throw down your weapons. This is the time of the amnesty. This is the time to surrender, to switch sides, to sign up with Jesus. Because he's God's king and his reign has begun. We're going to spend this semester looking at what his reign looks like what implications it has for your knowledge of God and your relationship with him, your future in this life and the life to come. We'll look at the implications it has for how you drive your car, how you relate to people in your lectures, what you do with your life, who you marry, whether you marry. It has implications for love, for sex, for what you do with your money, whether you work a part-time job, what you do for a career, where you live, how you think about politics, the environment, science and the arts, commerce and design. It affects how you think about yourself. It has implications for guilt and anxiety and fear and depression. Implications for life and love and hope. In fact, there's literally no part of your life that the gospel of Jesus does not have implications for. And that's why at Christian Union we're obsessed with the gospel of Jesus. You'll discover that if you hang around with us long enough. We're obsessed with the gospel. We're not a party club, although the gospel is about the biggest party on earth. We're not a social justice club, although the gospel is about God righting every wrong. We're not a club so that Christians can finally have some friends. (laughs) Although the gospel brings friendship with God and a deeper friendship with others than you'll experience anywhere else. No, we're a gospel club. Because the news about Jesus is not just any news. It's permanent, big, good news that has radical implications for every area of your life in this world and in the world to come. And it's news that we need to understand and it's news that we need to tell others about. It's news that is too big to ignore. Will you join us in doing that this year? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus, that your king has arrived and everything has changed. Father, we pray that as we explore that over this semester and this year, that you'd help us to get to know you better through your son Jesus and to rejoice in his kingdom and to live in light of it. For Jesus' sake. Amen.